Hey guys. <laughs> I don't know, that sounded funny. Um, welcome back to Just a Girl in True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven. And tonight, I said we were going to be doing something lighter. And we're going to be talking about some urban legends because those are light cases to me. If you hear talking in the background or someone being very aggressive, that's my husband. He's playing a game and the people aren't the smartest. So, <laughs> uh, but we're kid free this weekend. So I'm excited. Even though I have to work Sunday for Mother's Day, I'm off tomorrow and I'm here for it. I just got to go to an eye appointment and I said I'm coming home then and I'm binge watching The Flash and I'm not leaving my house. Anyway, um, if you have plans for Mother's Day, I hope they are exciting. I hope, you know, you do some, you get gifts for your, you know, your mother-in-laws, your boyfriend's mom, your girlfriend's mom, your baby mom, your aunt, your sister, your best friend. Um, my best friend actually got her gifts early um, in the week and I'm going to give my mother-in-law her gifts Sunday when she drops off the boys around like 10 a.m. Okay, so... Oh, and I got a new Instagram follower. I forget your name, but thank you so much <laughs> for the follow. Um, I hope you like it, even though I'm terrible at keeping it up. <laughs> okay, and I posted a, um, I posted part one and part two of the Virginia, like the case I did a couple months back, like a couple weeks back, not months, heaven, on my heaven's uh, tr true crime TikTok account, and that's exciting. So with that being further said, thank you for the per thank you to the person who followed me on Instagram. I'm sorry I don't your know your name, but uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, okay, let's hop right into it because um, I was supposed to do ten, but I think I'm doing. I think there's like nine. There might be ten because I think there's one and two. But the one urban legend I'm gonna do, I'm actually gonna make it into a whole case because it's a whole bunch of stuff that I want to cover up. I want to actually cover it, not cover up. I want to cover it. All right. So up first on the docket is the Marf Marfa lights. And for more than 135 years, people have reported strange lights, strange lights above the horizon in Marfa, Texas. Didn't know that was the place, but you know, you learn something new every day. Now, no one knows exactly what they are. And that's, you know, that's what really makes them so captivating. Because nobody knows what these things, these lights are. Marfa's official slogan is, is tough to get, tougher to explain. But once you get here, you might get it, they say. Fittingly, a series of strange events has transformed, you know, this tiny town in the middle of nowhere into a place like nowhere else. Probably the light. Part Texans, part Brooklyn, part Mars. 50 miles from the Mexican border and 200 miles from the nearest airport, Marfar is a dusty dot of a town with one traffic light and fewer than 2,000 people in the remote reaches of far west tower known as El Des Poblado. Oh my god, sir. <laughs> the un I'm not laughing at this. I'm laughing at my husband. The uninhabited, that's what that El Despoblado, something like that. Y'all know I'm terrible at pronouncing big words. Get over it if you don't like it. Um, so 
The first sighting was in 1983 when a young cowhand named Robert Reed Elson saw a mysterious dancing light as he was driving his cattle through the plains and he was so spooked that he actually told everybody in town of what he saw. Since then, farmers and World War II servicemen and high school sweethearts have reported seeing, like, you know, these pulsating, these, um, pulsating lights or colorful balls of light along the uninhabited stretch of a prairie southeast of Marfar, known as the Paisno Pass. And the actor James Dean was also rumored to be so obsessed with these lights that he kept a telescope in his Marfa Hotel room during the filming of the movie Giant in 1956. That's crazy. Today, on clear nights as the sun sets, people from all over the world descend to the roadside Marfa lights, viewing area near this one-horse town, and stare out across the desert. <clears throat> Desert scrub toward the Chinity Mountains in hopes of catching a glimpse of the bizarre phenomenon. <laughs> Ghost lights. There's no way to. There's no way to protect when or where the lights will appear, but the glowing orbs generally form fewer than thirty times a year. Usually just after the sun sets or rises. Some, um, some say lights are r- roughly the size of basketballs and dart wildly across the desert and, or hover over, you know, just hover around. Others say that the spears appeared colored as they twinkle in the distance. Sometimes they're red, other times they're blue, yellow, or white. So that's why they're like ghost lights. I mean, ghost orbs can... I mean, I've never heard of a red orb, but, you know, there's white. I'm not, I don't think I've ever heard of a blue one either. Maybe, uh, maybe I've just heard of white. I don't know. Um, often a second orb will appear um, to split, merge, merge, float, or melt into the first. The supernatural streaks are be- believed to be everything from UFOs. To Lost Ghost of the Spanish Conquisidors. I think I pronounced that right. To distant car headlights. I mean, that's a possibility. In fact, nobody is actually sure what they really quite are. Or if they even exist at all. Nobody knows. The truth, uh, so they're asking, you know, is like the truth out there. Perhaps no one is more familiar with the Mar more familiar with the Marfar lights than a person named um, James Bunnell, and he was a retired NASA aerospace engineer, and he grew up in the area, and he attended Marfar High School and returned in 2000 to witness a shocking light displaying for which I could find no. He said basically he said I could find no reasonable explanation during the next 12 years. James set on like out on a scientific mission to investigate and solve the mystery of you know these Marfar lights. Um, and then there is also there's more, but I didn't write it down. 
Um, I just literally Googled like urban legends and then there was these like 10 ones that might scare you in Texas. And that's where I got that. The Marfar after I searched Marfar lights, which I really hope I'm pronouncing, but I'm not. I don't know. Um, and then there's also a man named Jude, and he began converting Marfar, began converting Marfar's abandoned buildings into galleries in the 1970s. And visitors actually began like to trickle in. And if it were not for you know like a 92 year old man named Armando Vasquez, the legend of the Marfar mystery lights may have actually never spread into the mountains. And he said the first time he actually saw them himself was in 1971. And he also said he was amazed by it. And he said it seemed like a fairy tale. <clears throat> the lore of lights. Uh, my parents and grandparents saw the lights. It's always been here, said an 80-year-old named Ari West, whose family helped settle the Marfar in the 1880s. And they say, you know, they hope they never find out what's really out there or what they are. Because mysteries make life more interesting. And to that, I say, agreed. Okay, and so up next is called The Haunted Lighthouse of Boulevard. Not Boulevard. Yeah, I guess Boulevard Peninsula. Let's talk about history first, guys. The original point. Bolivar Lighthouse was completed in 1951 to guide ships into the busy Galveston Bay at the active port west of New Orleans and the road to Galveston. Galveston, I'm sorry. Wow, I wrote that wrong the first time. The largest city in Texas at that, to that time. The lighthouse was about 600 and... I'm sorry. 65-foot cast iron tower, painted red with single singles keeper's dwelling. The first keeper was a man named Aaron Burns, and he earned a salary of 600 a year. That doesn't sound like a lot now, obviously, but, you know, back in the day, obviously, that was a lot of money. And he earned that first year for maintaining the tower's 18 lamps backed by 21-inch reflectors, and the surrounding property. By the end of its first year, harbor pilots in the district lighthouse engineer petitioned to make it taller and brighter, and by the summer of 1958, the lighthouse had a new third-order forensal lens for an additional 24 feet to its tower. In 1961, the um, Texas succeeded from the Union and the Point Boulevard Lighthouse, like many other southern lighthouses, went dark. The original tower was completely disassembled, and it's believed to have used for armor plating for Confederate ships or melted down of their armory has no piece of the original tower. Um, but I'm sorry, but no piece of the original tower has actually yet to be found. But the legend says it is now haunted by a crazed teen who actually murdered his own parents. 
And even though there's no local history to back this legend up, it still seems spookish, right? So up next, we are going to be going to Camp Lulu Sam's as soon as I find it. Give me a second. <laughs> okay. So Lulu, Camp Lulu Sam's. And I couldn't really find anything about this, and I'll explain why after I do this. Um, so this is a short one. This is just outside of Brownsville, and it sits in the abandoned site of an old girls' camp. And the story is basically told by locals, and that is that the camp was closed after one of the counselors went insane, and they murdered several of the girls. The legend claims the ghostly sounds of children crying can be heard from the property at night. The local history now... Oh my god, there is that smoke smell again. I'm pretty sure I podcasted a couple days ago and I smelled smoke at the same place. Wow, that's eerily strong. Um, The legend claims that, you know, you can hear the sounds of the children, ghostly sounds of the children crying, and they can be heard from the property at night. Like I said, even though the local history doesn't back up the story, though, the camp in the legend probably refers to to the nearby defunct Girl Scout camp, um, Camp Lulu Sam's, which is actually currently the focus of a conservation... a conservation... conservation effort. Um, and when I looked it up... When I looked it up, um... I could just find, like, they rescued animals and stuff like that, so I couldn't find much. So I don't know if it's real or not, but woo! All right, up next is the Censure Theater, and I couldn't find really much of... Uh, hold on, actually. Um, I didn't really find much about this one either, and this is basically an old theater house in Corpse Christie said that it's to be haunted actually by a ghost of an usher, not that usher, guys, who was reportedly stabbed to death by a jealous boyfriend shortly after the theater's opening in 1942. And today, actually, the theater is still used, and it is used for wrestling events and concerts. And when I looked it up, it's what it popped up. So I was like, I don't think that's right. But nope, that's actually the stuff it's used for. They convert it into some, like, community thing where people can, like, watch wrestling events, probably for schools. And you can go concert and jam out to your friends. But, you know, just look out for a shadowy figure is lurking around in the corner. And if you see one, bam, you know it's that ghost who was stabbed by her boy jealous boyfriend. Up next on the docket is... Arlington Screaming Bridge. This one's freaky. Hold on. Whoops. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. I was like, wait, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Okay. Um. Give me a second. My computer's running technical difficulties. <laughs> okay, I'm back. My computer literally just, like, stopped working. Um, and it wouldn't, like, let me do anything. So that was a little weird. Alright, so, Arlington's, um, Screaming Bridge. <sighs> Woo! This is even the best one. I have a favorite urban legend that I want to go check out. So, 
As far as urban legends go, Texas is obviously loaded with them. And one in particular out of North Texas is of that Screaming Bridge. Over the years, a number of area residents have visited the site in addition to paranormal investigators. Many are trying to hear the actual screams of those who passed on. And there are just some teenagers out to have some fun. The legend itself isn't anchored in a, in a myth as much as it as true events. This real quick off a thing. Um, I was on TikTok and YouTube. The one girl, um, she went to this bridge and she was trying to talk to people. I don't know if it was in Texas, but boy, it had me hooked. Anyway, no, I think that was about a mom. I just read this. Okay. So the story goes on that February 4th in 1961, six teenager girls from Arlington plunged off the crossing when they failed to see the bridge was out. Damn. Their car hit a slope on the other side and it ended up landing upside down and they were instantly, you know, it instantly killed two of its passengers. A third was reported dead on arrival at Baylor Hospital. Three of the passengers sustained a variety of injuries, including concussions and fractures to their jaws and arms, and one actually underwent brain surgery. And it is said the girls weren't carrying identification, so names were only learned by police when medical personnel, um, when one of them regained, um, you know, consciousness with enough time to say, like, who they actually were. That's a pretty bridge. I mean, damn. Um, so arson was actually committed. I'm sorry. Arson was confirmed by a county fire fire marshal as the cause of the bridge, you know, being like out. There goes my computer again. But who was responsible for actual that arson crime was yet to be determined. That same bridge that had once had once been um burned before and then repaired and although that you know there were former barricades on both sides of the road that approached the nearby railroad tracks they too were noted as mis being like mysteriously misplaced ironically enough the same spot had earned the eerie name of death crossing from prior train and car wrecks to in past decades Upon further investigation, it was determined that four Arlington students, high school students, were responsible for burning the bridge. It was reported that the youths were indicted, and after they were brought in front of a grand jury, and the jury foreman said that the boys' actions were deemed as childish pranks, and charges were subsequently not brought forward. The Tarrant County Commissioner's Court was also asked to post rewards for any information leading to arrest for the removal of the bridge barricades, yet no one was identified. The bridge was eventually never replaced, and its fragments were bulldozed and later covered by concrete tunnels for drainage. These were then resurfaced with asphalt and brought up to the level of the bridge's original span. This served for access over the drainage ditch up until another fatal accident involving a train and a truck, which occurred in 1994. I was not even born. 
And in that act incident, two women identified as Timmy Lynn Dawson and Raylan jo jo Johnst Johnston, yeah, tried to, you know, make a crossing in advance for an oncoming train. When their attempt failed, the train hit a passenger side of the truck, knocking one of the women out of the vehicle and trapping the other one in the burning repentance. What the fuck? They were both pronounced deceased at the scene. Following this accident, that part of the road was closed to all traffic. You probably should have did that the first time. Um, and that's how it got the name Screaming Bridge. It is subsequently a myth that was formed. The isolated Arlington location has spawned stories of hearing car screeching sounds and the screams of those pass who's ha those who have passed on at the bridge. In the witnessing of tombstones of those who died as a result of the incidents, the Screaming Bridge continues to stir up stories as well as imagine imagination of those in the area drawing the curious into the further investigate in into further investigate the infamous scene wow that's pretty cool i mean i've never hmm i didn't read that far into it but i'm glad i did all right uh what is next on the docket the Lady of White Rock Lake. I, listen, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I looked at this one and I was like, what the hell? And I watched the video. I mean, it didn't look real to me, but then it kind of did. So it was a little scary. But, you know, I'm scared of everything. <laughs> I'm a wuss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, get, let's get into this one. Um, It's called The Eerie Apparition of White Rock. Lake, Texas. I mean, she looks like a bride in this photo. All right. So we'll start off by this. Those who have reported seeing ghosts have long been the butt of jokes or, you know, stuff like that. But the experience is far more common than actual people realize because, yeah, I agree. A lot of people who are like, I see a ghost and they're like, um, like my best friend. She's like, ghosts aren't real. And I'm like, nope, ghosts are real. I've seen one. They're real. Um, But it's the stuff of history with sightings in every culture throughout the world recorded, um, you know, in like ancient records and stuff like that. And in Dallas, Texas. The White Rock Lake ghost is no laughing matter. The familiar sighting is of a young woman in a drenched, drenched evening dress who waves down drivers to tell them that she has been in a boating accident. She asks for a ride to a house. She hops into the back seat. And, you know, instead of making small talk, this bitch over here just decides to vanish completely. Now. According to the Dallas Parks and Recreation, White Rock Lake is a 1,015-acre city lake located approximately 5 miles northeast of downtown downtown Dallas. White Rock is one of the most heavily used parks in the Dallas park system. 
it's a beautiful spot and on a clear warm day there are cyclists runners families having picnics and kayaks cutting lazily through the glassy lake but there's something more to this lake than meet than meets the eye of the recreational visitor a texas abc affiliate reported the dallas morning news posted a 1964 story from its archives about the beautiful ghost of the lake who reportedly wore a dress from neiman marcus or nyman a 2004 story from the advocate traced the beginning of the legend to a texas folklore society which published a story about the ghost in 1943 in that version, a couple picked up the soaking wet woman on the side of the road and they drove her to the address she gave him them on Gaston Avenue when they saw that she had disappeared. They walked up to the house. A man ended up answering and explained that he had a daughter, but she drowned in the lake two years earlier. If that's not real enough for you guys, I don't know what else to tell you. Because, I mean, what? What? Oh, here, look. Here's more I found. Okay. Um, 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 um. So this is when it all started back in 1943. So her name was Ann Clark. Oh, wait. A woman named Ann Clark wrote an account of the Lady of the Lake legend and published it in 1943 under the title The Ghost of White Rock. And it includes the Texas Folklore Society's publication, Backwoods to Border. Um, Clark's report stated that the young girl, I'm sorry, the young couple was parked on the shore of White Rock Lake. And when they turned on their headlights, they saw a young girl in a sheer white, wet, wet, white dress coming toward them with a flattering voice. She told the couple, I'm sorry to intrude. And I would not under any circumstances, but I must find my way home immediately. Then she, you know, she says her boat got turned over. The others are safe, but she must get back home. Next, she climbed into the rumble seat and gave the couple an address in Oak Cliff. When they asked for directions, they turned around only to find their rumble seat empty and wet. So the couple eventually, you know, went to the door. They went to the address, they went to the door, they went to the dad, and the dad was, like, sad. And when they were, like, we met this girl, and she gave us the address, and they were, like, this is very strange. Um, The man said, and they said, he, he told the couple, you know, you're the third couple who has come to me with this story. Three weeks ago, while sailing on White Rock, White Rock Lake, my daughter drowned. <sighs> Whoa. Um, the Dallas Morning News reported that many Dallas residents wrote the newspaper, you know, basically to share their encounters with the girl. I'm going to White Rock Lake, and I'm going to go find this girl because I think that'd be real cool. Um, the archives of the news reporter Frank Tolbert had run two empathetic pieces of the event in his column called Tolbert's Texas in 1964 he wrote hundreds of people have called or written this department about the so-called girl ghost of White Rock Lake 
who sometimes, by testimony of sober witnesses, make guest appearances in dripping wet evening dresses along the shores of Dallas Lake, always at night in the spring of the year. If you guys are doing that, you know, that's not right. Don't mess with people like that, okay? Because some people believe in ghosts. I believe in ghosts. So don't fuck with people like that, okay? Up next is the crying girl of uh the crying girl of Matt Street, and I actually have like a two parter one on this. It's called the crying girl of Matt Street and the ghost of Heritage Cost. I think that's how you pronounce that. Um, so let's get to it. Mama, mama, mama. I found this from, it's called, it's a website, obviously, called Ghost Texas Investigating the Paranormal. So I'm going to read what they wrote. <laughs> um, let me see. They're just going to give us basically a lowdown on two hauntings instead of just one. So let's see. Um... They said when they say there's nothing on these hauntings, they meant nothing because I couldn't find anything for the match street or anything because there was no wick there was no Wikipedia like this person said. Um, and that's where like I that's why I was like, okay, I guess I'll go with this one. But nothing mentioned in the history of Heartland where the Matt's location is, and nothing is mentioned in the history. Of San Angelo, where the Heritage Haas location is. Apart from the couple articles, you know, that they're going to mention each location and some personal accounts to a couple of ghost sites, they have found virtually nothing to write on. Which, this is a blog, and don't come at me, because we all get stuff from Reddit, too. We all know this. So we're going to start with The Crying Girl. Now, nobody knows who the crying girl is. The accounts all describe either coming into contact with a girl who is despondent and weeping while walking down the street or having activity in their houses on Matt's Avenue. The ghost, when encountered on the street, is unresponsive even even to off, is unresponsive even to offers of help. That suggests a resident residual type of haunting but when you also account consider the accounts of ghostly activity in people's houses it could mean that there are two aspects of the haunting that is if the spirit's the same that's what they said this could be an, an echo of whatever happened to the little girl in the street that have you know made this like crazy hence you know like the lack of actual interaction when the ghost comes to contact with people while walking outside then there are then there could be an aspect of the haunting where the actual consequences that's not consequences that's consciousness or part of the consciousness of the deceased female is haunting those houses up and down the avenue with activity like doors locking for no reasons cupboards standing open when they're closed only to instant ago now but, like they said, there has been at least two separate hauntings there, and it seems to be very little information backing up claims. 
that the activity inside the house is the same entity that people see out on their sidewalk. Okay, you know, we're just going to have to move because I'm not about that, okay? We're not about to fuck with two ghosts. One ghost, sure, you can move in. Two, you got to go. Sorry, I was thirsty if you hear me drinking. Um, the second one is about um the other one. And this is the history they read a couple articles about the history of Harlingen. I'm hope I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Looking for potential disasters or crimes that might tell who this little girl could be. They found nothing. That is not to say that someone who is very determined with a lot of time in their hands might not find some data when scrolling through old records or newspapers and such on. I don't got that time. I'm a mama too, and I work. Okay, so now on to the Heritage Haas in San Angelo, Texas. There's a couple articles that state pretty much all buildings in downtown San Angelo have a haunting, and they find this very fascinating. And they ask, you know, don't you? I mean, that's fascinating to me. And they said, anybody up for a ghost vacation? I'm down for it. The heritage location used to be an, an antique and lighting shop before the current owners bought it and turned it into a clock shop. Well, that's stupid. Sorry, who likes clocks? <laughs> they piss me off. The ticking was, you know, that go... That, that kind, like the tick, 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 tick. Yeah, that's annoying. Um, and that location housed other businesses before that. San Angelo is an older town with a lot of history, and the buildings in the downtown area have changed hands and purposes many times throughout the decades. The most informative article they found on the female music-loving ghost of Heritage stated that a female apparition has been seen near a back staircase before fading into thin air. This particular article article also claimed that the current owners, the Valus family, experienced a lot of physical activity in the form of objects moving, although they have not actually seen an apparition. We call that a poltergeist, honey. Don't fuck with them. You watch Supernatural? All right. Now, the... Uh, I think it's a grandfather. Okay, I had to read it for a bit. Yeah, because that's his granddaughter. Okay. Martin, the owner of the Heritage, also re-encountered an incident when his granddaughter was playing the flute in the area above the shop and had a bit of a tussle over a piece of sheet of music. I'm sorry. piece of music when she was playing. The article recounts how the granddaughter flipped the page into a different piece of music, only to watch the pages flip back to the previous piece multiple times. Apparently by an unseen hand. When his granddaughter resumed playing that piece again, the ghost apparently enjoyed the performance and the fight over pages stopped. Contrasts between the two cases are very interesting in both. There are claims, you know, of objects moving and the activity is assumed to be perpetrated by a female entity. However, the Mass Ave case is you know, a thing that is a distraught, childlike female entity is at the root of the haunting versus, like, the heritage place, the haunting seems to be more of an adult female who enjoys 
or seems to have like some type of sense of humor. They also find the musical component at the heritage haunting particularly interesting. Scared sound and music are used to um, great effect in energy healing. And I wonder if the ghost of of the heritage thing place finds it so. And they said, would you consider moving on if the mu if the right music was played for her? Do you think she'd move? Probably not. Oh, so now we're gonna get into the moths haunting on who this little girl is, and you know they're like, is it a really a little girl? You know, is it a different energy that's basically masquerading in that form? Demon. Uh, many people. Do not know that energies can be choose, you know, however they want it to be manifested. You manifest into something and if you're living in a haunted place, you know, oh here, you know, perfect example, Annabelle over there. You watched that movie, right? And how the demon tricked her parents into basically was like, this is her, this is your daughter. She just wants to live in the doll. And it wasn't actually Annabelle. It was actually the demon who basically manifested itself into Annabelle and then it like drove the family crazy yeah okay so that is you know what demons do I wouldn't put it I don't know what ghosts do but I wouldn't put it past them they seem like some shady fuckers um um you know and like they said this is why some heart some hauntings you know they start to they start out like very sweet like looking like oh that's a little girl oh that's so cute she can stay and then it ends up being like powerful like an evil spirit Annabelle I'm talking to you or how you know some mediums always say or always seem to see past humans in their death states instead of how the spirits appeared in life that's freaky I'm gonna I'm you know I want to visit a medium but I also feel like sometimes I'm wasting my time because like that when I told you, like, in the last podcast, like, how I sm- smelled cigarette smoke, and I don't smoke cigarettes, and when I was doing it, when I was doing it now, when I smelt it above me, it's very weird, and stuff like that, um, so if the, you know, anyway, if the Matt's Av entity is a little girl, this person asks, you know, like, how did she come to be there, the lack of information on crimes, disasters, etc. is odd, and maybe she was a little girl who lived on Avenue, lived on the Avenue and she died of an illness. Or, you know, or is it a little bit more metaphysical? What if she popped out of a portal around that location and decided to stick around? What the hell is this person on? <laughs> and they say another possibility is what if she just kept wandering after her death, crossing miles and miles until she came back to that same spot and decided to stick around for some unknown reason. I've been watching Ghost Whisperer, and I've if I've learned anything from Melinda Gordon or AKA Jennifer Love Hewitt, um, ghosts don't stick around unless they have some unfinished business. So if the ghosts were haunting me, you have some unfinished business, bring them my way. <laughs> I'm just really trying to have fun with this. Um, that's all, guys. Don't get mad at me, but unfortunately, in these hauntings, you know. She, they say we have more questions than answers due to lack of, you know, definite information about the locations, about the entities themselves. 
and they said they couldn't find any reputable reputable posts about people who actually were able to speak with the Matt's Avenue ghost or the Heritage Haas entity either. And they said, you know, so they leave you pondering. And then they say, um, there's some stuff like that. Whatever they, what they say on it. But I mean, it's good. I like it. And then they posted like three links. But that's where I got that from because I wasn't sure because I couldn't find anything. Um, next we're going to talk about the ghostly children of San Antonio. And, um, this one's a good one. And I think it's my last one. Nope, I have one more. All right. So, ghost children upon San Antonio's, San Antonio's, Antonio's railroad tracks. So, just south of San Antonio, Texas, on the site of, is the site of Texas' most famous ghost story. Not from... From South Juan Mission is an intersection of the roadway that is crossed by railroad tracks. Whether it is an urban legend or truly a ghost story tale has long been forgotten by history. Reportedly on this site of a fatal incident in which a train collided with a school bus full of children in the 1930s or the 1940s. According to the legend, it was a rainy Texas morning as the train moved swiftly down the tracks when... An engineer spied a school bus, stalled along his path, frantically pulling his brakes back and tugging on the train whistle. The Hulk engine quickly advanced toward the bus, unable to stop in time. Unfortunately, ten children reported, um, reportedly lost their lives that day, and they continue to actually haunt the area, but not for reasons you think. They actually protect others from the similar... From the similar fate, which kudos to them. As the story goes on, if you park your car directly over the tracks and shift into neutral, the ghosts of the children will actually push it uphill out of the way of an upcoming train. And if you have the foresight to cover your bumper with baby powder or flour, you can reportedly see children's fingerprints upon your car. This story has been featured in multiple or popular television shows of sightings unsolved mysteries, and as well as numerous Texas magazines and newspapers. If my computer does not stop messing up, we're going to fight. Now, despite how much, you know, this publicized story, its truth has been wholly debated in the San Antonio and both area residents and law enforcement are weary of the legend. Numerous accounts have been reported that cars do, in fact, you know, move on their own, and mysterious prints are seen on the vehicles. But others allege that they have heard the voices and laughter of children while at the site. Listen, if your kids are hanging out at this site and trailed on the railroad tracks in the middle of the night, one, I want to know why aren't you watching your kids, and two, why are you letting your kids out after dark? Because, what? <laughs> Um, however, the support of San Antonio residents, there are no records of any such incident actually having occurred in the newspaper archives anywhere in Texas. It seems that to us that the accident of such magnitude would have been reported somewhere. Furthermore, official investigators into the events have determined that, de that despite the illusionary appearance of 
a level or even slightly inclined road. The street surface is actually at a two degree uh, declination. This would result in the neutral car rolling and a neutral rolling of a car parked in neutral. As to the fingerprints, these could easily be those that were already there. Even after washing, forensic studies have concluded that fingerprints can still occur because, you know, when I wash my car, when my kids smudge things up, um, their fingerprints are all over my car. I don't know how many times I've, like, cleaned my TV and, like, I've really cleaned it, like, elbow greased it. Their fingerprints are still on my TV. I mean, that's possible. As the, cur- as the curious from all over the country come to witness the paranormal phenomenon, law enforcement is constantly forced to deal with traffic problems at the site, especially around Halloween, because that's when I would go. <laughs> Area residents have grown extremely wary of the cons of the, you know, of all, like, the drugs and the alcohol that seemingly accompany many of the visitors. Unfortunately, a criminal element has also entered upon the scene as reports of carjackings, purse snatchings, or worse. What the hell? And they are perpetrated on the many curious, unsuspecting ghost hunters. San Antonio is reported is reportedly the most haunted city in the state of Texas with dozens of ghostly slides. Damn, I should have done my ghostly slides in that one. We're going to do that next time. We're going to do that next week, guys. That are not debated. Perhaps it is time to give this legend a rest. Along with local enforcement, local law enforcement in residential and area residents. Um, now I think like I've listened to a podcast where someone like did this about it, and I thought it was real, but I mean I don't know. I mean we're you know guys we're just gonna have to all take a trip to San Antonio, Texas. We're gonna go to these railroad tracks, and we're gonna find out for ourselves. And someone's gonna record it because it ain't gonna be me. Now. Our last one is about a Confederate soldier of Thompson Island Bridge. And this is a very, another short one. The Thomason Island Bridge in St. Marcos, Texas is said to be haunted by a goat, by the ghost of a Confederate soldier. Locals have actually reported seeing a man in uniform with a rifle over his shoulder. And the legend says that he generally shows up before or during a war. The story goes that the soldier promised his brother before they both left to fight in the Civil War that he would return home no matter what. San Marcos is a short drive south of Austin if you want to stop in on your next trip. Um, wow. Well, guys, that is, um, I did not expect it to be this long. Um, I wanted it to be this long, but they were just urban legends, so I didn't think it'd take me this long. But that is the, um, those are my urban legends. Um, I want to do this one. I have it pulled up. I was actually going to just do a little bit about it, but I didn't, um, because it's like a whole ass case we're going to do. And I think I'm going to do it on my next one. It is called The Ghostly Nurse of Bexar County Hospital. And when I was looking it up, I was like, Whoa, um, she did a lot of bad stuff. So that's what that's what we're gonna do next. Um, and I think that's gonna be that'll probably be up next Thursday. 
just trying to get back in the groove of things basically and um get some things like going bang out more podcasts i know it's been like a crazy thing with like all the stuff that's happened to me my job's kicking my butt because i just don't do cashier um and stuff like that but that's really it guys um I'm I'm tired, but I'm gonna stay up a little bit. Um, and I'm gonna enjoy my day off today because it's Saturday where I'm at, so that's exciting. Um, and I'm not kid free. I'm not gonna stay up too late because I have to go to my eye appointment. Um, well, guys, I think that's it. Um. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at just a girl and true crime. You can send me a Gmail at just the girl and true crime at gmail.com. You can like the Facebook page at just a girl and true crime. You can um <clears throat> give me a follow or a comment or like on my video <laughs> on TikTok at just a girl and true crime. You can, you know, review me if you want. You can subscribe to all your friends and tell them what a great job I'm doing. If you want to. Only if you want to. <laughs> I don't make anybody do anything around here. You can insult me if you want. That's your opinion. I probably won't answer back. But hey. Didn't stop some people before. I'm just trying to live my life. Um, 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 um I don't think I have anything else. I wanted to do something lighter. For, uh. The John Bonet Ramsey case, because that fucked me up. I'm not gonna lie. All kid cases do. It's just how it is. Um. But that's. Mm, I think that's it. I think I, um. Everybody, real quick. I forgot to say this in my last one. Everybody, uh, you know, continue to pray for Ukraine and stuff like that, because they're still. As far as I know, they're still going to war, which is sad. So, pray, or whoever you believe, I'll pray. Y'all, whoever doesn't, if you don't pray, I mean, just say something nice about Ukraine. Um, remember, spread love, not hate. Um, now I'm just talking as I'm drawing on a piece of paper. <laughs> um, 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 I said spread love, not hate. I said all my stuff. Uh, yes. I think that's it because my husband's giving me the look like he wants to go to bed. And I'm not tired, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to lay there with him and then I'm going to come back out. <laughs> um, But that's it, guys. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'm getting off because... I'm, I don't know. I might fall asleep after I get a drink. Oh, um, Circle. Sponsor me because I tried your bottle at Walmart. I got it with like the flavored water. Oh my gosh, it's great. So if they're hearing this, sponsor me. HelloFresh, sponsor me because you know I like your meals. Um, Cole, sponsor me because <laughs> I love your clothes. Um, happy Mother's Day to all the moms and the dads who are out there doing the mom's job as well. And I'm getting off because I don't know what else to talk about. So that's it. Goodbye. 
That probably sounded really horrible. He ain't no singer, so <laughs> goodbye, guys. Woo! Thank you.